Okay, so everyone, hands up if you're ready for things to go back to normal. You know, going into work, jumping on a plane, or being in the vicinity of other humans, that kind of thing. It's something that I'm sure every individual, be it a customer or a patient or just a person, are keen to get back into the swing of some kind of normality. And from a hospital or a business owner's eyes, being prepared, organized and ready to scale things back up and run operations and care for more people efficiently and effectively is really high on the radar. Surely technology plays an important role in all of this in the need for preparedness and risk management in hospitals and SMEs. And so in today's episode, we're going to be exploring this topic a little bit more with Dr. Ravi Ratnanasan from Energes. We're going to consider what role technology might play in a COVID-safe world in the future and lots more. Collaboration starts with the conversation team, Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Arvi Ratnanasan. Dr. Arvi is the founder and CEO of Energes who specialise in improving patient experience and pandemic management. Dr. Avi is a health futurist and with his team develops innovative decision support solutions for hospitals and SMEs to manage their COVID-safe plans, outbreak management, as well as customer experience management more efficiently and more effectively. Hey, Avi, how are you doing? Good, Pete. How are you? Really good, mate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to connect. Love to be here, mate. Always great to connect with the thought-leading minds in the industry. Love it. We'll have to go find them for you and bring them on. But in the meantime, <laughs> you've got me. So it'd be great to learn a little bit more about yourself, please, sir. Tell us about you. Yeah, well, Pete, look, my journey, I was born and bred in Malaysia, grew up and went to do medicine in the UK. So I worked in the NHS as a doctor before I moved to Australia, worked in public and private hospitals in Australia as well as a junior doctor before doing an MBA and getting into the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. So after about a year at a company called Serona, which is now Merck Serona, I then spent about four years at Pfizer, which we all know. Back then, I was in charge of what was the most famous drug at the time, which is Viagra, and spent many years in R&D as well as marketing. And it was a billion-dollar business. So I learned a lot about how to innovate as I was in charge of strategy and innovation for a billion-dollar company. Following on from that, I decided to go my own way and start my first company on my own, which was a tech company, which is in a completely different industry. So I actually spent about three years outside healthcare. I was in the film and video technology where I had a couple of tech startups in that space, sold one of them after about three years, and then really decided that my heart was in healthcare and I need to be helping easing people's suffering. And whilst tech is cool, unless it is doing something meaningful to ease suffering or help people's lives, it wasn't fully connected with my purpose. So I founded NHS about 2012 with the vision to really help the health and well-being of a billion lives and really help the healthcare industry transform. Because one of the things that I learned in being in the tech industry is their knowledge of user experience and what it takes to change behavior had been so honed down to the way you click on a button. And their ability to do that was so much more advanced than how we care for patients in healthcare. 
So I wanted to merge that understanding into the healthcare industry. And that was really how some of our initial work came about. A billion lives are a lot of lives. It's a lot of lives. We measure our social impact like a lot of other social enterprises do. And from our direct and indirect impact over the last nine years, in fact, we just celebrated our ninth birthday yesterday, we've impacted directly and indirectly about 6 million lives. So we've still got 994 million to go, but we're optimistic because <laughs> we, we also plan that against a long horizon. Yeah. yeah, nice one. Tell us a little bit more about the company and the usual, you know, what is it, who's it for, what problems it solve? Tell us a bit more about it. We're now a digital health company where we've really developed a number of products to help organizations. Probably our two core focus products is one is a product called PME, which is to help organizations improve their outbreak management and pandemic preparedness. And that involves activities around your COVID safe plans, ensuring your organization is safe, ensuring that your operations are prepared and preventing disruption. Uh, that's a very interesting product, which I'll go deeper into. Our second product is called PXMe, which is around patient experience improvement. And that's something where, again, a lot of data is collected around patient feedback and so on, but organizations really struggle to take that data and turn it into improvement. So those are two key areas we're playing in. And in terms of the main one, PME, which is very topical at the moment, as you mentioned, because we are in a constantly evolving space. The pandemic hit us around March, April last year. We put certain strategies in place. We put down these hard border closures. We put in quarantine programs. And hospitals were really trying to adjust with the complexity of the planning in this space, right? We've always had infection control procedures, but pandemic preparedness is a whole different ballgame. It involves complete changes of policies, procedures, communication strategies, how we screen visitors. Fundamentally, our operations have changed. And so what we do as part of this tool is help organizations go through the different stages of the pandemic and evolve and be proactive around these steps. Interesting. So you've got the two kind of parts going on, the patient experience side and the pandemic preparedness stuff. You mentioned the organizations just celebrated its ninth birthday recently too. The pandemic stuff particularly pertinent in the last couple of years. Is it something that's been a focus prior to COVID in terms of the pandemic stuff, or is it something that's emerged based on the need that we're facing now globally? Very much based on the needs. We were very focused on the patient experience improvement side of things. And then when the pandemic hit around March, April, and we were working with our customers on that, they said, look, Avi, you've got no time for this anymore. I've got to focus on this thing called COVID. If you've got something for that, we'd love to look at it. And because we already had such a strong track record with a lot of these customers, they were open to what we could do to innovate and help them through this. So what we did was we took the data architecture from our PXME tool and schooled up on pandemic management, talking to industry experts, consultants in the space, disaster management professionals, infection control specialists, and built out the PME tool and we put it to trial. So we put it to trial in four different sites in Australia, which were all hospitals or hospital slash aged care. We were getting feedback of nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 straight off the bat for this tool. And by the end of the year, we'd received an award from the International Hospital Federation, which is, uh, as you're probably aware, the global organization assessing pandemic response across hospitals around the world. 
and recognizing the work that we did as an international best practice. So that was something that we were not expecting, but it was also good validation to know that the approach we had taken to help hospitals with their management of the pandemic was regarded as a global best practice. And so tell us a little bit more about the tool itself, like what it actually does. Effectively, it helps you measure and assess overall preparedness according to a number of domains or best practice domains of preparing or managing an outbreak or pandemic. These domains include things like your planning activities, your communications activities, how you've changed your HR policies, recruitment, and so on, how you've looked at case management, even things like points of entry. How do you manage visitor screening, whether you've got your QR codes in place? There are a number of best practice domains. And how we came to these domains is really looking at the WHO guidelines, integrating them with Australian guidelines, and formulating a classification such that organizations assessed against this. Now, you might call this an audit or an assessment, but the key features beyond this as well, and that's something that we've done with our other solutions, is building out the what next What do you do next? Because there are lots of audit tools in the market and they all tell you the gaps, but where managers really struggle is what do I do next and what's the right thing to do next in the current situation? So we build in this decision support features whereby with each of the gaps, we also link in the best practice action plans that you need to be taking that are contemporary. We also have an academy feature that then links in the evidence for those action plans. So what is the international literature evidence and guidelines to back up that action plan? So they're how-to guides. And then we have another feature called a provider and digital matrix. And what that does is maps in the technologies and the products that help you solve those gaps. Because that's how a manager thinks. They go through, I've got a gap. Now, what do I do with it? Now, how do I solve it? Where's my guide for it? And if I had to buy something or to use another product to solve it, where do I get it from? So it's that end-to-end process to close the feedback loop on action. Is the end customer for you guys, is it other healthcare organizations or is it across multiple industries that are using the PME? We obviously started with hospitals and we got a good bunch of hospitals from Queensland, Victoria, South Australia. We also conducted a trial in the emergency department. We've since expanded the conversations to quarantine hotel programs, for example, because obviously a lot of breaches have come from these hotels, which have resulted in full state lockdowns, as you're fully aware. So the need to be more compliant and manage this proactively has occurred there. We've talked to state governments, we've talked with federal government institutions, but also now the conversations are turning to pharmacy, the med tech sector, construction sites, as well, where they've got to protect the health and safety. So we've really expanded quite significantly. In addition, we've expanded to countries such as the US where conversations are happening with the likes of the Mayo Clinic, where they're doing a lot of work in this space. They're advising the WHO, the UNHCR, UN Security Council and various others. And they've looked at this tool and we're starting to explore how we can pilot it over there as well. You mentioned the IHF award that you received for the PME product as well. Tell us a bit more about why you would have stood out and received that award. That's a good question. And I think part of the experience of NHS is because we work at a very ground level over many years. And, you know, my background is a medical professional. I've worked the wards. 
I've cared for patients, I've worked towards. My team is similar. We're all people who understand the challenges of management and clinical care. And so when we build tools, it's very practical. It's not purely based on academic literature that you have to read. It's actually got the step-by-step hand-holding mechanisms to help real managers in the real world solve these issues. Because that's the big gap, right? There's so much information about COVID coming out. I think there was about 200,000 articles last year, up to the end of the year that were released. How do you get through all of that and translate that into something that you practice in your oncology ward or your orthopedic ward? Or if you're at reception, how do you translate all of that? That's the big gap that people are challenged with. And how do you keep updating those policies? Because typically, your business continuity plans are on a Word document at best, or printed out on a filing cabinet Mm -hmm. somewhere. And then you've got to update them regularly, if not daily or weekly, which is another challenge. So unless you can provide people with practical tools to help them through this, it's a big challenge. I'll give you one example. The CEO at Heathcote Health that we were working with was using the state government's tool at the time of the emergency and trying to use that to help them with the preparedness. And he thought he was doing pretty well. And when we came along and said, look, we've got this tool, would you like to try it? And because he'd used our other tools in the past, he was like, yep, let's give it a go. And when he tried it, he found 30% additional safety risk that he was not aware of. But the tool also automatically mapped in the solutions to those gaps. So it actually reduced his workload, him and his team's workload. He estimated seven days of work to prepare themselves and conduct all these actions. They were actually reduced to four hours because of the tool. And that's about a 90% reduction. And part of what he cited was that when he was trying to prepare for this, and as the guidelines keep coming out, what he has to do is search through the state government's website, try and find the right guideline. He downloaded it, and it was a 90-page document. Now, if you're in a crisis and you're trying to teach your teams or work with your teams to solve the gap, and you're having to go through a 90-page document just for one of the gaps then you've lost a critical amount of time. And so in our tool, we actually map in the page number of the action as well. So we go down to that micro level. This is the key to user experience and make it as seamless as possible for that user to actually know what to do. I was going to be my question about there are apps at a state level and I was going to I think federal, but mostly at a state level that are provided to ensure compliance. And I guess as a minimum requirement, organizations big and small utilize these tools. Like what's that kind of gap in the reason? But it sounds like it goes much more beyond compliance. It's about utilizing what you've already got and, and ultimately providing a more effective and efficient service for customers, patients, but also looking after your staff in a more effective way too. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that value proposition of what we do is it can slightly differ depending on the size of the organization. So if you look at certain programs like Hotel Quarantine, for example, they have audit tools and the hospitals have audit tools. We constantly audit things. But how do we take that data, aggregate it at a program level, understand where the big strategic gaps are? We're not very good at doing that. And then knowing what to do with those gaps Where do we make resource investments? Where do we put in place actions to, let's say, implement a whole set of visitor screening tools? Which visitor screening tools do we use? Which ones in the market do I buy? Because the governments cannot endorse a product, Mm. right? They can only provide you with the guidelines. They cannot tell you exactly what to do in that scenario. And they cannot endorse products. 
So people in the, I'm going to say the market, but people, managers, frontliners, and so on, need this information. They need the support so they can progress through these steps quickly. And that's the gap we aim to fill with the tools that we've developed. So taking all that into consideration then and thinking about all the different options and all the things that are in the air, from an organization or a health system's perspective, how do you think they're going to effectively manage a COVID-safe environment or workplace moving forward? A lot of teams, when we first had the pandemic, were really scattering around, trying to figure this out. And then governments had put guidelines in place. And what started to happen, Peter, is that there were often too many guidelines in place. So federal government would release some, state government would release some, the local, the college of physicians or emergency management practitioners or GPs would release some. And then you'd have to, you as a risk manager within an organization, would have to try and consolidate all of them, figure out how this is relevant, and then communicate that to different individuals in your organization to do that. Where those organizations did not have the resource or expertise, they would hire consultants. The larger organizations would hire, whether it's your big four or your disaster management consultants or so on to come in. Now, a lot of that occurred, but there's a lot of people in small business and in medium enterprise that cannot afford all those resources. They've got to figure it out for themselves. And particularly in Heat Code Health, which is a small organization, they don't get access to a lot of this support. So they need something that's cost-effective, but also meaningful. And that's where our tool comes in, because it can be that, I wouldn't say the substitute, but the aid or the complement to the internal risk manager or the consultants that are working in this space to basically help scale and make it more efficient. Because there's only so many consultants you can hire, and there's only so many that are around. What we found is that it's very difficult to get access to experts because they're all taken up by various organizations. So the tool provides that scalability of that information across a large number of sites, hospitals, aged care, even business units or departments. Given that you guys have got quite a fair bit of experience in that patient experience, side of things as well and thinking about everything that does need to be implemented from a pandemic preparedness and risk management side of things. How is all that that needs to be implemented going to then impact on the patient experience in hospitals and customer experiences that are provided in businesses moving forward? Yeah, it's a very good question. And we've thought about that a lot because we've had these two products and we're thinking through what is that intersection. There's a few points that we've observed. One is digitalization and digital transformation. So one of the things that occurred because we're all working from home, so many people are, a lot of patients also don't want to go into healthcare facilities anymore because of the fear of contracting COVID and so on. And the health system's also not wanting patients to come in if it's unnecessary but you still need care. So a lot of, obviously we went to telehealth and home, and home quarantine is being explored now, being trialed now. So one of the things that the tools have incorporated is what are the digital solutions in the market? What are the telehealth solutions in the market that can map and solve those gaps for you in order to enable your digital transformation? That's a common theme across both products, right? The other thing that's also critical is the human side of things, and that's workforce See, one of the things that we obviously know, that if your staff are well, if they're cared for, they're able to deliver better care. And one of the things that we observed when the pandemic first hit in March and April last year was that when we did that assessment of preparedness, a few organizations hadn't elevated 
their psychosocial or mental health counseling for their staff at the time. So we went into this very tactical crisis management. Let's put in place this. Let's put in place this visitor screening. Let's put in place new procedures, blah, blah. But we didn't actually ask our staff enough, how are you doing right now? How can we care for you right now? Or even if we did have that conversation, it, there wasn't a strategic push from the organization to say, hey, you know what? We need to bring in some wellness support. We need to increase our employee assistance program. We need to have a bit of mindfulness or mental health counseling occurring and offer that more proactively. So those steps on the human side, some organizations forgot because we went into this very tactical pandemic response. Doing our tool, some of these organizations went to the trials, started to realize that those are areas we need to focus on. That's where we need to increase investment. The same is true for patient experience and customer experience because what we found is there is a correlation between how well and how engaged your staff are with the quality of care that they can deliver. If you keep your staff happy, happy patients, happy staff, happy staff, happy patients. The better you can care for your staff, the better care that they can deliver for their patients as well. So these are two big areas that we see overlaps when we start to get into the granular level of how these tools work and how they can help. Lastly, thinking about what you'll be focusing on as NHS over the next 6, 12, 24 months, what can we expect to see from you guys, Avi? We're really keen to serve during this time. And I think one of the big things is we're seeing continued hesitancy from certain leaders, managers, and so on, that this thing's just going to go away and we're all going to be fine. And that, in my opinion, is a big mistake because I think we should be using crisis as an opportunity. And whilst we've done a lot of the transformation and I am fully aware that everyone's been in a state of really just trying to keep up day to day, we need to take that strategic look at our overall improvement. How can we improve overall preparedness as an organization, as a team, as a state, as a country, and put in place better mechanisms to prepare us moving down the track? We feel our solution is part of that suite, but there's more. There's much more to be done. And we're seeing countries like America have actually released a national preparedness strategy where they're actually putting in place certain things to look at preparedness more proactively. Certainly part of what we're doing is we know we've established NHS Inc., which is our U.S. subsidiary now, and, and we're starting pilots over there. But also, I think in Australia, expanding that health and safety conversation, not just to hospitals and aged care, but into other industries as well, is part of our push. As I say, we're starting to explore the construction industry, retail, pharmacy, and so on which we've typically not been in before, but we'd love to support there where we can. Work with the channel partners, so consultants, consulting firms, risk managers, and be part of their suite of tools that they bring into the ecosystem. And I think being supportive of the conversations and the capability development at state and federal government level, where really they've been very stuck. And I say that in the best possible way, stuck with really dealing with the crisis of the day that keeps evolving and being very challenged at being strategic around this. So that's where we hope to be able to serve moving forward. Yeah, and no, it's an important one to look at is beyond the day-to-day -day and strategically where to now. So it's a very pertinent one to be focusing on, Avi. Look, I'll put the details of NHS in the show notes of this episode for people to check out if they want more information and to connect. I really appreciate you making the time and good luck with everything you've got going forward. Thank you very much, Peter. All the best to you in Talking Health Tech. Wonderful to be here. listening to the show check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community 
and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.